Uh, you know what I would like to try, though? I would like to start off in, like, uh, what's the, the lightest weight class? C. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. literally just said I it. would like to Here's, start yeah, you and, might, then, and then see how far I could go between, like, would it be, like, the 180-pound group or whatever oh, that no, is? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. They're in the, yeah, there's last, 120s, what, 130s, oh, yeah. See, in I fact, think I could take the little guys. The main event is for the bantamweight title, and that's at 130, 135, I think it is, or yeah, something I could like beat, that. Yeah, I could beat that guy up. Well, I know. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, I could beat that guy. Aljamain Sterling is the bantamweight yeah. champion. I could beat him up. He would stick your big toe in no, your bum no, bum. <laughs> that was Christian Fourier doing what Christian Fourier does. Now, as another reference point, as John Anik, the voice of the UFC, is in studio with us in advance at UFC 292 Saturday night over at the Garden. We threw out the first pitch at a Woo Sox game. This guy walks out onto the field. Starts to, like, do his loosening up, right? And then turns and looks at me and says, with a straight face, I think I could throw an inning in big league (laughs) baseball. I got an inning in me because he got down there and got all jacked up. So, of course, it's the whole, oh, I think I could take them. It would be a calf kick. He would, I would say you would get a calf kick, a fake punch. He would be on your back, and you would be choked out. I give you a minute. Okay. I think a minute against a train fighter. Let's talk to the expert. You see me, right? I'm in pretty good shape. Yeah, you are. Okay, okay. I can run around. I can give you at least an, uh, at least uh, one round. Oh, how long, how long is a round? Question. Three minutes. Five minutes. Oh, five. Oh, it's five minutes. Yeah, I'd have to hurry up and get this done in a hurry. I don't know if I can last. No, that you long. would be. Yeah. So, how much? Go ahead. Well, you're right that size does matter. And if you're fighting a 135-pound man in an enclosed setting... And I'm 240. Yeah, I don't know how your hands are. I do know that you come from a family that has some wrestling chops. Your brother, obviously, was a decorated amateur in the state of California. So... But I think that Aljo's going to shoot for your leg, and I don't think your takedown <laughs> yeah. defense is very good. And even yeah. though you're strong, you don't have any submission defense. Like, I think Aljamain Sterling chokes you unconscious. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> totally. Number 88 in your I program. Like I saw, I saw <laughs> number one and go to sleep. <laughs> he, looked, <laughs> he looked really happy when we said it. He put you to he sleep. He put you to sleep. Yeah, no, I, I don't Those, think I would last the, very long. Like, the, like, it's another level. And again, you know, I, I, I love pro wrestling. I was at Brock Lesnar's first fight. That was the Patriots Super Bowl weekend in Arizona. So when Lesnar debuted against Mir, we were there covering it. I had a buddy at the time who was working on the production crew. This was even pre-you, Anik. And uh, we drove up from Phoenix to go to Vegas, ate at like the Mandalay Buffet, stuffed ourselves, went to UFC, saw Lesnar lose, by the way. And then all the, like, we were just in the right place at the right time where fighters were walking by. And I saw Brock Lesnar walk by. And when you, like, that's somebody that makes you pause. Because it's, do I want to die? That's really what it would (laughs) be. But you look at him and you see that. But in reality, Henry Cejudo, at 130 pounds or whatever, could do the exact same thing to people our size. Yeah, so it is It is interesting because do you guys ever see, like how much um, crossover do you guys happen to see in UFC with former professional athletes, like high-end NFL, NBA, well, probably not NBA, but whatever, you know what I mean? Like how many former fill-in-the-blank professional athletes yeah. try to make their way into UFC? Well, we've seen it in boxing more than in mixed martial arts. I mean, certainly back in the day, James Tony, the decorated boxer, fought Randy Couture. And 
was unceremoniously disposed of on the ground, which many expected would happen. Le'Veon Bell, of course, you yeah, may recall, yeah, yeah. fought Uriah Hall, Uriah Hall in a boxing setting. It didn't go particularly well. But I do think, in a broad sense, it is far easier to become a professional athlete as a fighter, a mixed martial artist, than in any of these other sports, right? I mean, there are a lot of women and men, and especially on the women's side, you know, maybe they go do a cardio kickboxing class when they're 16, and the women's game has just started to develop, and the next thing you know, five or seven years later, they're not just in MMA, they're actually in the UFC, so it can happen pretty quickly. I don't have a huge appetite for a lot of the crossover stuff, you know, certainly Jake Paul has plucked off a lot of what my broadcast partner, Dominic Cruz, would call these wounded animals, right, guys at the mm-hmm. tail end of their UFC careers. I'd love to see him fight somebody who actually is primed and primal and a betting favorite to beat him. But Ooh, generally speaking, generally speaking, I feel like the UFC has done a good job of keeping the circus acts out of our promotion. Is that yeah, part of like the general philosophy, though, to keep it respected? Yeah, and I think recently with the Elon Musk... Mark Zuckerberger rumors, you know, people thought that maybe the UFC and Dana White were stepping out of their lane a little bit in promoting that fight. I think that would have just been a One special off. singular case. But, yeah, no, by and large, Dana does not want to do we're, circus we're, freak show Well, in, in terms of some of the crossover guys, though, to your point, like Greg Hardy made the transition. I know that, right? Oh. So there was Greg Hardy for a while. But also Eric Anders is a guy who played at Alabama, I think yeah. it was. Now, he's a little older. He's mid-30s, I think. But he's a guy who went through the long transition of becoming an MMA fighter where he was a pretty high-level athlete and then decided, all right, I'm going to make the switch. And Anders has done a nice job of carving out a career for himself. No, that's a good name. And as you know, Christian, the NFL dream can end very quickly Mm -hmm. for a lot of these guys. The highest drafted NFL players to ever compete in the UFC, Marcus Jones, then Austin Lane, who was a fifth-round pick. The Jacksonville Jaguars made his UFC debut recently. And then, of course, Greg Hardy, who was a sixth-round draft pick. Lane was in Jacksonville. I mean, he played in Jacksonville, but he fought down there recently, right? He actually has stayed there, and he now claims Duval County. But Eric Anders is a guy who had a sack and a forced fumble in a national championship game win for the University of Alabama, but a guy who the NFL dream ended pretty quickly. And, uh, yeah, he's had a lot of injuries and has – put his body through a lot, obviously putting a mixed martial arts career and a high-level career at that on the tail end of a collegiate football it, career. Is that a, is that Musk, uh, Elon Musk and Zuckerberg thing, is that going to be a thing or if it, is that kind of gone now? So Mark Zuckerberg is a martial artist. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. He trains in striking. I do believe that at some point Mark Zuckerberg is going to take an MMA fight, whether it's an amateur fight or a pro really? fight. He's already started to compete on the amateur ranks. I think Mark Zuckerberg is going to take an MMA fight, and I would not be surprised to see Mark Zuckerberg actually fight somebody else but in the UFC. Oh, that wow. would be that That's would be amazing. something. The voice of the UFC, John Anik, is hanging out with us in studio. UFC 292 is this weekend. One of the things I did want to ask you, and I, ha- you and I have kind of uh, had some fun with this before, but I got to ask you the what I think for some people would be a $64,000 question. How long do you take in looking in the mirror huh. and saying names. Oh. Because, like, even Zhang Wei Li, right? So if you looked at it, it looks like it's Zhang Wei Li. Yeah. Because, as we learn, in the Asian countries, it is customary to flip the names. Courtney Cox did that the other day on the Greg Hill Show with Masataki Yoshida. And then it looks like Amanda Limos. No, it's Amanda Limos. 
And if you don't know that, the UFC people are very tribal, and it's like, yeah. ah, you got it wrong. So do you? is it one of those where you're, like, staring in the mirror and saying it? Are you listening to it? How do you train yourself to say these names? So we do have audio files of every single fighter saying their name, and we try to make it sound the way that they do. But yes, bro, like, practice makes perfect. I tell my guy Bruce Buffer all the time, I'll say this name 50 times so that by the time I get to the octagon, I don't need phonetics. But right. when Christian Fourier and I were at ESPN, we have this lovely pronunciation guide with all the phonetics for every athlete. <laughs> and then a pitcher by the name of Daisuke Matsuzaka came along. And on ESPN Radio, we're calling him Daisuke. And we get some memo from Red Sox PR that's like, hey, I know you guys Americanize Japanese names, but it's Daisuke Matsuzaka, and that's what you're going to call him. So we don't Americanize names. We try to do it exactly the way mm. they sound. But Polish names are very tricky. Brazilian Portuguese can be challenging at times, but no, I mean, I try to practice, right? It's like when you have the job that you want, like, and Dana White's your boss, like, you go try to earn that seat every show. And I know that can sound trite and fall on deaf ears, but, like, I'm going to the Garden this weekend to try to earn that seat for Sydney 3 You know, so. I know I don't have this the, the exact stat in front of me, but and this is even before I knew you were coming on when Gresh made this happen. Again, thanks for coming down and taking all the time. This is, this, we're not going to have enough time. I wish you would have been here for two hours, but I actually saw like a, a whole report on the popularity of UFC, and they were comparing it to the NBA as far as ratings, uh, Q rating, and all that stuff. And then UFC, it either matched it or surpassed it based on just the amount of eyeballs and the interest that is. And I don't think the NBA likes that at all right? because of the arrogance that exists with that sport and this whole, you know, here comes all these fighters that nobody knows about, you know, for the most part. They're not on Wheaties boxes. They're right. not household names. Yet people give a crap as opposed to the NBA. I don't know how you feel about that. So there are a few things at play, and it's a great talking point. But I left ESPN in 2011, and I didn't know if the UFC was going to be on G4. I certainly didn't know they were going to be on Fox. That was the wagon that I wanted to hitch myself to. Yeah, I wasn't getting a lot of football reps at ESPN, as you well know. But I just believed in this sport to such an extent. And there have been a few factors that have helped us grow exponentially domestically. Internationally, we've always been a huge deal, you know, if I can say that. But in the U.S., right, the Fox deal laid the foundation for us to get a deal on ESPN. We get the deal on ESPN in 2019, and effectively everything changed there. Then you have a global pandemic in 2020. Every other sport shuts down except for the UFC. And Dana White and our brass was bullish in wanting to be the first show back, and we were. And so I think you have a lot of these sports fans who are sitting home idling with nothing to do, and now the UFC has a deal on ESPN Plus and ESPN, and our fan base in the U.S. grew exponentially. So those numbers are great, and we're very excited about them. And uh, I know people get upset, especially in a hockey town like this, when I suggest that mixed martial arts has come alongside or superseded hockey in terms of the big four in this country, but... I think we're No, close. it has. It, it's definitely there. And I think if you expand out outside the big four and you start to think about where the PGA Tour was with Tiger Woods, it has definitely come back. But that's, to me, where UFC has kind of slid in there as a fifth major sport. And it is a worldwide brand. And I would add, too, that the ultimate fighter on Spike is when, for me, I started to notice UFC even more. And as a wrestling nerd, they also had TNA Wrestling. And a lot of those audiences were able to grow and kind of cross over. There were some guys who wrestled in that Jeff Jarrett promotion. I want to say it was – I'm trying to remember who it was, but there were – Rampage Jackson actually yeah. was on there for a while. And I know Spike and Paramount was a big part of that. 
that was almost like the proof of concept. And that's when Fox was like, oh, no, this is a big deal. And then it kind of went from there. So I think that did it as well. And even that Ultimate Fighter franchise. Yeah. I would say that and the fact that Dana White was smart enough to build this UFC apex to where when the pandemic hit, everything was in-house. Like, for you, they have this huge training facility that has, like, a mini arena in there. And I know it's not the big 30-foot ring. It's only a 25-footer. But it's enough to be able to create the action and get it done. And to your point, John, between that and, believe it or not, NASCAR, who kept racing, those were the two sports during the pandemic that really gained a bunch of audience just because they were accessible to people. And mixed martial arts, and you set it up well as usual, Gresh, was essentially on life support, Chris, in the U.S. in 03, 04, and Dana White and the Fertitta brothers had bought it a few years prior, and as sort of a last-ditch effort to try to get this sport to catch on, they launched the Ultimate Fighter in 2005, and... The rest, the rest is, is history, history, right? Yeah. 31 seasons in now, and we just did our first season on linear television on ESPN. So uh, that cannot be discounted in terms of the mixed martial arts. So fight. speaking of the ultimate fighter, I know there's two ultimate fighter fights that are on this card. Will both of the coaches be in the house, or, or am I asking a question that is a, fair, that is a foul ball for John Annick? No, it's a good question. I can confirm that Michael Chandler will be in the building, and Conor McGregor, I think, is expected to be in the building. I mean, if we show Conor McGregor in-house at TD Garden, Good Lord. roof's going to blow off the place. No but doubt. yeah, at least right now, it looks as though Chandler and Conor, the Ultimate Fighter coaches, are going to be in the building. Yeah. So, random question for me. Um, like, as far as the, the women's fight game, yeah. is, is that kind of uh, slow going because of just the fact that people aren't used to women getting hit as often or as violently? Or is it just because there's not a lot of good fighters? So actually, the women's game has blown up, right? So I was sort of suggesting earlier that it can maybe be an easier path to get in for Mm. some women because we just don't have the depth necessarily. But like Zhang Wei Li, who is competing and defending her strawweight championship this weekend, she's one of the best athletes in the world in any professional sport. So at the true elite levels... These mixed martial arts athletes, the women, are absolutely exceptional. I just think it can be easier to get into the UFC as a 135-pound woman versus being a 135-pound man. Dana White famously said, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that women would never fight in the UFC. And, yeah. of course, uh, and Ronda, Ronda Rousey, Rousey changed all that. Yep, exactly. Ronda Rousey and then Holly Holm and then... Then it's Amanda Nunes who has kind of taken it to a next level. And then, you know, you mentioned like John Wei Lee. That's another. But when you think of the the UFC women's division, I still think there is the what is kind of the landing spot on the on the weight classes, right? Is that sure. unfair to say? No, I think Where do you fair. think that's going to settle? I think 115, 125, and 135, we do have a featherweight division. But Amanda Nunes is the champion. She has retired, and it looks as though they're going to do away with that division. I, there's a groundswell support for a 105-pound women's I division. I agree. Which that's the way I would go. Right yeah. now in the UFC, the Adam weight. There's five. I know. But, but it makes it different Maybe from the men. That's the weight class well. I need to be There in. you go. Oh, there you there's go. There's my no weight class. The, yeah. the 105. <laughs> Fifth graders. <laughs> but, you know, like my daughters are 12 and 10. Uh-huh. And the UFC let them voice an essay for Amanda Nunes a few years ago. And so that sort of got them in a little bit. And then, of course, Amanda is the greatest of all time. And uh, there are a lot of young men and women who are watching this sport. And uh, I think of all the things that really warm my heart when I'm on the road is just seeing how young this fan base skews and trends i have kids you know 9 10 11 coming up to mm-hmm. me all the time and this is their favorite sport they were born into it they train and they love it that's how my that's how i got sucked in like i liked it and my youngest is the one who's really hooked on it my 18 year old jack he's the one who is 
like a real diehard, watches the fight nights, will go back. I'll tell you what, the move to ESPN+, Plus, especially with the Youngs, has been massive because it's there anytime. Hey, they go out on a Saturday night, you know, might get home at 2 in the morning. The kid's downstairs watching it until he falls asleep. Yeah. You know, he wants to see what happened on those kinds of fight cards. And that's, I think, the other thing, too, Christian, is – it's it is as close to weekly as it gets. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys up to forty eight weekends a yeah, year I mean, now? Well, when, like when you account for Dana White's Contender Series and all the shoulder oh, programming, yeah. it's a ton. But I think we do forty one live events and fourteen pay per views this okay. year, and it's just a special live event. It's a special television product, and certainly the promotion cuts my check. So this might sound non-objective or sound like promotional hyperbole, but I do believe, and Gresh can speak to this, our sport is just less prone to duds. I mean, certainly we have some bad main events. We had a bad one in Nashville a few weeks ago, but more often than not, at the highest levels, this sport delivers. So for me, it used to be there was one Super Bowl a year. Now there are 14. The NFL has one, and we got 13 pay-per-views, and we got one Saturday night. Yeah, I can tell you this, that before the main card starts in the Garden. UFC does this at every event before the pay-per-view. You will hear Baba O'Reilly, and as soon as you start to hear the first couple of chords, everybody turns their head to the big screen because that pre-fight video sets the tone. I don't know if it does it for you, Andy, because yeah. you got headset on and stuff like that. But if you're in the building and you start to hear that song and you look up on the screen and you see that, and there are a lot of current fights are mixed in there as well, it sets the tone in a way that is different from any other event that I've ever been to or covered, and that includes Super Bowls as well. With Super Bowls, there's like that anticipation to kickoff, but that pre-fight video before the pay-per-view starts, everybody sprouts wood in that building. <laughs> ha, and, you know, part of my goal coming in here today was to at least raise the eyebrows of one Christian Fourier, and now this dude's trying to get someone to go to the Zach Brown Band concert with your wife so you can go to the fights. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that would be the key. Yo, he's, not, he's going to that stupid concert. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, I'm his locked wife's in. not going to let him out. I wish it was. I would go. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, no, I, know. I, 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 was, I would, I give would you... have no. I have no interest before this, but now. I give you my like, fifth seat. You can come I, sit with right. me. He's always got an extra one, too. I because I'm smart. Because you never know who's going to want to go. See, I think with the other head, that's my problem. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. That's your <laughs> cue to go to All break. right, there we go. Because you got on some the, questions. On, you got on, some questions. On that note, Andy. well, I got one big one. And we're also going to slide uh, John's evil twin brother in Ooh. here as well. So people can get a, a good look at Jason because he's a, a big fan, big listener and all that stuff.